churches down in South Mexico. It's an organization called uh, the World Evangelistic Organization. It's been around for about 70 years, and I've been serving them down there for about 13 years now. And um, so every year I go down there, the Lord does something profound in these meetings beyond myself. It's an apostolic uh, expression, which is unique and different than uh, other ways that I function. So sometimes when you go to different places, there's different uh, offices that you hold, different anointings for different purposes. When I go down there, he does things that are so out of the box, it always shocks me. So let me give you a quick uh, recap of this time, because this is one of the most uh, pivotal points in this organization. And that also your prayers and the way that you support me as I go down is a major part of it. The intercessors, uh, their prayers really the, uh, the things that are causing this to take place. This Friday night meeting, there's about 40 pastors that came in with uh, uh, a few hundred people that were bussed in from other towns in Mexico, and we converged on a town called uh, uh, Minatitlan, and uh, the Friday night I taught on the kingdom's not in word but in power. And of course, everybody's shouting hallelujah, and it's a great message. The next Saturday night, uh, the next evening on Saturday night, I was going to teach the same thing, expand the kingdom theology. And I woke up Saturday morning and the Lord gave me a verse that absolutely shocked me. And I was like, no, 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 Lord, no. Everybody's happy. Everybody's got bust in to celebrate for the annual convention. And he gives me the scripture. I cannot tolerate your sin and your sacred gatherings anymore. That's nice. I wrestled with that all day long in my hotel room. I mean, I wrestled and prayed and prayed and wrestled. And, you know, you don't teach something like that unless it's really the Holy Spirit because it will just do nothing but condemn. But if it's the Holy Spirit, it will bring freedom like nothing else can. But I've got to know it's the Lord. So I said, Lord, you have got to confirm this in a profound way. Well, I have no doubt this is you, and then you know I'll do it. And so um, I prayed all day long. It's a long day. You wake up at eight o'clock on a Saturday. You don't preach till seven o'clock. That's a long day by yourself in a hotel room seeking God. I'm still not sure. I show up. I'm on the front row. Mario, our pastor of our sister church in Tijuana is right next to me. He's my interpreter. Uh, he's also one of the key people in this organization. And I'm sitting there and I'm worshiping. I got my Bible in my hand. All the young people are up here. They all have on the same t-shirt, you know, and they're jumping and they're worshiping God and the band's cranking. And there's a few hundred people going after it. Now there's about 50 pastors there and everybody, there's such joy and celebration and life and excitement in the place, you know. People haven't seen each other for the whole year and, you know, and I'm going to stand up and say, I can't tolerate your sin and your sacred gatherings? Really, Lord? That's horrible. And I'm standing in the front row. I'm just, God, I'm still not sure what to do. And right then, I had in my mind, in my hotel room, a pastor out of this organization who has given me prophetic words from the Lord over the years that were dead on. I mean, I trust this guy. He hears from the Lord. I was thinking in my mind, man, if Lord, the Lord would use that pastor, I would know it was him. As I'm standing here, and Mario's right next to me, that pastor out of all the pastors walks up to Mario, whispers in his ear, they walk out to the lobby. I, would, I just wanted to follow him, right? I thought, I'm just going to stay here and wait. He comes back, and I said, what did he say? And Mario leans over and says, he said, we've had enough, of the, uh, enough, of the, enough teaching. Now what we need to do is repent of our sins because there's a curse on this organization because of the iniquity that is pervasive throughout the churches. So he introduces me, you know, the apostle of the organization. Everybody stands up, they're clapping, they're shouting, yay! He sit down and I said, the Lord says. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
And I mean, you ought to, you know, seen their faces, right? And, but it was with hope. Whenever the Lord rebukes and corrects, it's always redemptive. What the Lord told me was he wanted to breathe a fresh breath of the wind of the Holy Spirit over all these churches and over this organization so that they could be revived and they could save their cities for Jesus Christ. But when we are plain church and we have unrepented sin in our life, uh, the Lord has to rebuke that. He has to clean that out so that he can use his people as a clean vessel and a dirty world to bring the good news of Jesus Christ and give them a hope in a different way. So even though it was a hard message, it was a hopeful message. I get done with that message the next morning. I meet with all the pastors and I say, hey, by the way, that word for last night begins with you. And the Lord just started giving me revelation of sins within the leadership of, of this organization. And, and, and we ended up all on our knees, repenting before God. People are hugging, people are crying. It was just so powerful. Then the next night I go to a different town. And I won't tell you what the Lord did in that church, but it, again, set that church. The Lord gave me another word for that church. Well, I'll tell you. As I'm standing there in this church that I know has a calling on it to take their city. It's a city of about 5,000. It's a little town called Zacatiangis. And I know this church, uh, they've chewed up three pastors that have passed a process through that church. We sent another pastor down there just a few years ago, he and his wife. The last time I was down there and talked to he and his wife, they were at each other's throats. They were just, their marriage was in trouble. The church was in trouble again. It was just, it was just bad. And there's more demonic uh, activity in that town than any town I visited in Mexico. So I know what's going on, the spiritual warfare there. And what the Lord told me to say to them was, you are a very gifted church, but you do, know, you do not know how to keep rank. You do not know how to follow the leader. And what he gave me was, in my mind was a passage in the Old Testament where it talks about David's mighty men and how incredible they were. Be able to sling a stone and kill somebody from 100 yards away, you know, fighting lions and snowy pits and killing them and taking on a thousand guys at a time. It goes down all their acumen and all their skill, but then four times it says, and they knew how to keep rank. And they knew how to keep battle formation. And they knew how to keep rank. And they knew how to keep rank. And their heart was loyal to David. And they knew how to keep rank. You see, you can be an incredibly gifted people. But if we don't know, each person doesn't know their place. And they don't know how to keep rank and be humble. And say, that's the leader. I'm going to do my part in this army. And we're going out to the battlefield as a battalion. If you can't keep rank on the battlefield, you'll be decimated. And the Lord told me this church has, does not know how to keep rank. And so I was, I was, during worse, I'm looking for it in the Bible. It's buried in the Old Testament. I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find it. So then they introduced me again as the apostle and everybody's clapping and standing and clapping and clapping and clapping. It's like went on forever. I was getting very uncomfortable. And then they sit down and I just wanted to say hi, but no, the Holy Spirit had other plans. So I just said, the Lord says, and I just started prophesying, you have a destiny to take this city and God's all over you. You can win this whole city to Christ. And, and they're all shouting. But then I said, but you don't know how to keep rank. And then I started bringing a word of correction to this church. And it was, it was as powerfully anointed as the night before. And then I thought, I'm going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter four, which is the New Testament. I throw my Bible open and it opens up to the very passage that says, you do not know how to keep rank. I stood here. It was, it was a couple of minutes. I just went, wow. I was so 
enveloped in the presence of God and the reality that the living God is speaking to this body of believers from his living word through my mouth right now. This is so far beyond me. And Mario interprets everything I do, hand gestures, body motions, everything. So I stand here and I just go, wow. And he goes, wow. (laughs) We did this like, you know, 15 times over a couple, because I was really stunned. And I began teaching on this and had the whole church on their knees. I was on my knees. We're all repenting before God. And then we came against the spirit of Jezebel, who who has controlled this church for years, the 12 years I've gone down there. And I really believe we busted her in the mouth. I believe the powers are pulled down in that church. And then the pastor got up, laid hands on he and his wife, um, and, and set them in. That, I believe that church is going to bear more fruit than probably any church in the next four or five years in that organization. They really were, uh, they really came under the anointing of the Lord. Then after that meeting, a lady walks up to Mario and I and said, I was at last night's meeting in that other town. Let me tell you what happened. She, she said, I got on a, the tour bus after the convention and I was driving home. So she drove home to a completely another town But then she came back to this other town she knew I was going to be at the following night just to tell us what happened. She said, we get on the tour bus, and she said it was completely silent. This is after the first town, the first meeting. And she said, and then all of a sudden, people just started weeping. And this wave of weeping just spread throughout the entire bus. And then she stood up and says, why are you all weeping? They said, we are so convicted of our sins We are so convicted of the way that we have been taking God so lightly and just playing church. And they just started wailing before God. And then they started getting saved. Many of these folks that were raised in church had not even yet given their life to Jesus Christ. You know, that can happen. We can become so routine and it's become so redundant. We're just church people. And there was revival on the bus that broke out. Now, I've never gotten a report back like that before. Usually you don't know what you're preaching and what you're praying does, right? Isn't it great when you get a report back like that? That's like the Charles Finney type stuff. That's like the revivalist type stuff, right? How awesome is that? So, and that ties right in, I believe, to our series we're opening up today on God's heart for the harvest. God has no other instrument on the planet to reap the harvest, reap the souls for him than us, his body, his church. We are to be on assignment, on mission about the Lord's uh, greatest passion, and that is the loss. I believe the organization down there is going to be bearing more fruit and winning more people to Christ over the next decade than maybe they ever have in the history of the 50 or 60 or 70 years that they have been around. I believe there's going to be more churches planted, more apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers raised up within that organization. But that's in Mexico. And this is in Rancho Penasquitas. Here we are, the people of God. We have our assignment, and that is our orcos, our family, our friends, our work associates, our classmates, our neighbors, strangers that live here in San Diego, the three million people that call San Diego County their home need the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want to launch into a series today on God's harvest. And as I was preparing this for you guys and for me, I was asking the Lord for confirmation. And there were two things I felt like he wanted me to do. One was to talk about the harvest and teach on evangelism. Secondly was to launch a 30 30 for 30, which is everybody praying 30 minutes a day for 30 solid days. I didn't necessarily connect the two. 
And as I'm sitting there in my chair this week and I was meditating on this, thinking about, is this really where God wants me to head? Dr. Bob Wilhite, who's one of my spiritual fathers and an apostle over this house. He's in his 80s. I've known him for about 20 years now. He, my, he calls me on the phone and says, Brother John, this is Brother Bob. I said, yes, yes, Bob. And he says, I'm coming out there in a couple of weeks. I totally forgot. I looked on my calendar. I somehow forgot to put him on the preaching schedule. He comes out every year. He can have this pulpit anytime he wants. And he said, I know what the Lord wants me to teach on, Brother John. He wants me to teach on prayer. And I know what he wants the church to pray about. He wants the church to pray about the harvest, John. <laughs> I was like, isn't that amazing? I said, I think that's a good idea, Bob. So today we're launching a series on the harvest. And then next Sunday, Pastor Bob will be here. And he will be teaching on the harvest, teaching on praying over the harvest. And we will launch the 30 for 30 next week. What I would like you to do this week, I want you to pray and I want you to write down 10 names of people you know are far from God. I don't care if they're the farthest person you can imagine or somebody that you might think is close enough. Write down 10 names that you believe are people who need to connect with Christ in a significant, meaningful way. And that's going to be your prayer list starting next Sunday for 30 days, every day. I want you praying over these 10 people. And I think you're going to find the Holy Spirit began, starting to move on the hearts of these people and start to move them toward Christ and also pray that he gives you opportunity to share your faith in Christ with them. So that we break out of our comfort zone of just being church people and let's begin to be the harvesters in God's harvest. Amen? Now, I know that whenever a teacher teaches on evangelism, it usually does very little. Most people don't like to evangelize. They're uncomfortable with it, and I understand that. And our culture is getting more and more hostile toward the message. But that is no excuse for us not to be sharing the good news. I thank God for the gentleman when I was a teenager and working construction that he came to me every day and kept inviting me to his church. I didn't want anything to do with him or his Jesus, and he wouldn't stop, and he kept inviting me. I finally went just so he would shut up and look at me 30 years later, pastoring in the kingdom of God. Thank God that he cared more about my salvation than his reputation. Thank God he cared more about my conversion than his comfort. And so I'm praying that as I'm teaching on God's harvest in here, that something happens in our hearts in this church. I, I think people should be getting saved in our congregation every time we come together. I believe God wants that. He said he wants his house full. Do you know that when Jesus Christ came to the earth and he drew his first disciples, do you know what he said to them? Come follow me and I will make you prosperous. Come follow me and I will make you popular. Come follow me and I will make you wealthy. Come follow me and I will bless your business. Come follow me and I will make all your wildest dreams come true like Pedro. Is that what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said to his first disciples? What did he say? He said, come follow me and I will make you, say it out loud. That is what I believe and I'm hoping God will do with us over the next 30 days or 60 days or the next seven weeks. That he will truly make us fishers of men. Some of you used to be fishers of men and you haven't led somebody to the Lord in a long time. He's going to remake you a fisher of men. I just, I just had that from the Holy Spirit. I believe that we can turn Christianity into our personal satisfaction gospel. 
I want to say that our healing, our experiences, our divine encounters, our needs being met, our prayers being answered, all those are important. They're all important to God. But none of them are more important to God than the salvation of someone who does not yet know his son, Jesus Christ. Because what if we get healed and we get blessed, but people all around us are going to hell? Jesus said, I have come to seek and save what? That which is lost. Jesus said, go to the highways and the byways and urge people to come into my house because I want my house full. Jesus said that I have not come for those who are righteous, but those who need a physician. He said that he came after the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. He then said to his own disciples, when he was talking about the harvest, he turned to his first 12 and said, I have food. Oh, excuse me. I just, yeah, yeah that was, they used to call me Shammy the preacher when I was a youth pastor, because if you're in the front row, you're going to get wet. Sorry. He said, he turned to his disciples after he had witnessed to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who Jesus broke cultural norms because he knew this woman who was going to come to the well at noon because she had to go at noon because she was a promiscuous woman, had been married five times, living with someone who was not her husband. She was a Samaritan dog, according to the Jewish culture. Jesus knew when to, where and when to find her. So at noon, he goes to the well. He shares the gospel message with her. His disciples come and start questioning, why is he meeting with this woman? And uh, we brought you some lunch. And he said, I'm not hungry anymore. They said, did somebody give him food? He said, I have food you don't know anything about. What an indictment against his first disciples. I have food that you don't know anything about. My food is due to the will of the father who sent me. And then he says what his will is. Lift your eyes and see the harvest. I believe that's what we need to do in this church over the next seven weeks is begin to lift our eyes and see every individual who is in our circle of influence that is far from God because Jesus wants them. Can I hear an amen? amen? So there's three components to this because as I said, I find that teaching usually doesn't produce much evangelism. So I want to couple it with two other things. One is the prayer piece. The prayer piece, I believe, is going to be the most powerful piece to us truly seeing people come to Christ through our efforts. The other piece is Stephanie Morris, uh, Stephanie Dominican. I sorry, I called her by her maiden name. See, the Lord calls the foolish things to confound the wise. Are you confounded yet? <laughs> Stephanie Domink, um works for E3, a missions organization here in uh, RB, and she's one of our missionaries here that we support at the gathering place. And I've gone to India with her, and uh, she's taken a, a trip to India in the fall. Some of you went to the dinner uh, that she just held last night, I believe, sharing about the trip to India. And um, she, uh, she and I are going to add to this teaching series and to the prayer piece an evangelism workshop for you. Here's what we want to do starting next Sunday after church. Those of you that want to join us, go grab a submarine sandwich, join us up at Hilltop Park, and we're going to sit at a picnic bench up there for about 45 minutes and talk to you about how to share your faith. Then we're going to go out by twos into the park, and we're going to ask people if they would like prayer. 
Do you, are you sick? Do you need prayer for your family? There's something you need prayer about. That's a very soft in, uh, entry. Most people say yes to prayer, and we just want to go around the park and begin to pray for people. And then if, the, if they are open to it, then we would like to share about Jesus Christ. And we can also just point right over the hill and say, by the way, that's where we go to church right there. And so... I have found that's how I broke into evangelism was that very model. I went to a church where they would come on a Tuesday night, they'd teach a little bit, then they'd put us on buses, take us downtown, kick us out on the street and say, we'll pick you up in two hours. We just walk the streets of downtown, the bus station, coffee shops, we'd share our faith, then we'd get back on the bus, we'd come back to the church and then we'd share our experiences. And that's what broke me open. That's what got me beyond, uh, out of my comfort zone and really began sharing my faith with people. And I'll tell you some of my stories along the way. But these are the three pieces we're going to do over the next seven weeks. The teaching series, the prayer piece, and then also for those who would like to join us at the park to evangelize after church, we're going to do this for the next four Sundays. Amen? Amen. And my hope is that we can get on God's page. So, I want us to look today in the book of Acts chapter 10. This is how I'd like to break this message open. In Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we are going to see God's heart for the harvest. And that is what I'm calling today's message, God's heart for the harvest. I want us to see the extreme measures that God went through to save one man. And how through that one man's salvation, the gospel was opened up to the entire Gentile world, which is you and I. You never know what will happen When you lead somebody to Christ, one person, you have no idea what kind of ramifications that can cause. The ripples in the earth. I guarantee you that Peter had no idea that leading Cornelius the centurion, a Roman soldier to the Lord, was going to throw open the gospel to the entire Gentile world. Let's open this up in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Now, I want to say right off the bat, this is critically important. Look at the characteristic of this man. He feared God with his whole household. He gave his money to the poor. He prayed always. Would you call this a good man? He had a good reputation with all the Jews, it says later. Would you call this a good man? You and I could look at a man like this and not think that he needs the gospel. It might even be insensitive to say someone like Mother Teresa would need the gospel. Or this Roman centurion. Giving to the poor. Praying always. Fearing God, and yet this man is who God sent Peter to to preach the gospel to so he could be saved. Because salvation does not come by good works, it comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So I want to say to you, and I've heard people say, and I've heard some of you in this own congregation say about your uncle, your brother, your sister who's a good man. And when I suggest that he needs his sins forgiven, there's kind of this pushback. Like, oh no, he's a good person. Jesus has to accept him. There is no, the the penalty of sin is death. 
not good works. But the free gift of God and Jesus Christ is free gifts of God is Jesus Christ. I want to read to you about another man very briefly, and we'll jump back into the text. Listen to the testimony of this man. I'll never forget my first year in high school. Babe Ruth, the great king of SWAT, came to my hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina, to play an exhibition game. All of us were on the front seats, shouting and yelling at the top of our lungs. My dad, who had taken us to the game, arranged for me to shake hands with great Babe. I will never forget the thrill of shaking hands with the fellow who was the idol of our young hearts. I didn't wash my hands for about three days. The next day at school, I was the envy of all of my friends. During my last year in high school, my, neat, my, my keenest ambition was to be a professional baseball player. I dreamed of playing in Wrigley Field in Chicago and Yankee Stadium in New York. I ate up the sports pages. When I was 16, after finishing a game, I was invited to a church. I was told that fighting preacher was to preach. I was interested for anything about a scrap or a fight is what I wanted to be about. I forsook my studies and went to church. To my amazement, it was a great evangelistic campaign. About 5,000 people were gathered. I sat in the rear of the building, curiously watching all the strange happenings. I wasn't quite sure what would take place next. I had always thought of religion as more or less sissy stuff. And that fellow who was going to be an athlete would have no time for such things. That was me. It was all right for old men and girls, but not for he-men with red blood in their veins. I'd gone to church some, but, you know, that was all. And then a great giant of a man stood and began to preach in such a way as I'd never heard a man preach. Halfway through his message, he pointed right in my direction and said, young man, you are a sinner. I thought he was talking to me, so I ducked behind the person in front of me and hid my face. The idea of him calling me a sinner. Well, I'm as good as anybody, I told myself. I live a good, clean, healthy, and moral life. I'm even a member of a church, even though I don't go. But then he began to quote scripture, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. For the first time in my life, I realized I was a sinner, that my soul was bound for hell and I needed a savior. But when he gave the invitation, I rushed out into the night and made my way home. I'll never forget the struggle that followed. All night long, I wrestled and fought. Then the next day, I can't believe how I felt, but I, I couldn't wait for the evening so I could go back to the service. This night I sat near the front. When the preacher gave up this, when the preacher got up this time, he seemed to smile at me. And he said in the tenderest tones, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I thought, this is from me. I'm a sinner, but God loves me. When the invitation was given, I made my way to the front with the others. I gave my hand to the preacher and my heart to the Savior. Immediately, joy, peace, and assurance flooded my soul. My sins were many. I knew they were gone. For the first time, I had met the person who became the hero of my life. That man was Billy Graham. And through that one man's salvation, we know the rest of the story. And we know the rest of the story of, of Cornelius is we read how God, just as he went after Billy Graham, he also went after Cornelius. You'll see so many one-on-one -on -one encounters that Jesus had with people. Jesus wasn't always preaching to the multitudes. Jesus went after individuals because Jesus cares about every single person on the planet. The Bible says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise of returning the second time, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that 
any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God cares about every person in your life that does not know him yet. So in verse 3, let's look at the extreme measure God goes to to get to Cornelius. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, an angelic visitation. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said, your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. You're such a good man, I'm going to let you into heaven. Is that what he said? No. Look what has to happen. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now this is an amazing thing. And this is what can happen to us. Years ago, the Lord had already told Peter and the other disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. And everyone, anyone who believes will be saved. But Peter had not yet done that. Peter had not yet preached the gospel to one non-Jewish person because in his ethnocentric Jewish mindset from a little boy, salvation is of the Jews. God is going to have to shake him, wake him, and break him out of his religious paradigm to be able to get the gospel to this hungry seeker of God. And he might have to do the same thing to you and I over the next seven weeks. He might have to break us out of our comfort zone of just coming to church, getting our little goodie, and then we go back to work, go back to school, maybe pray, maybe read, but not one time think of the lost. And certainly not the dude that sits next to me at work. Because he is irritating. Or your boss. Or your uncle or your classmate, or your employees. Jesus wants everyone saved. Now, he sent men to Joppa, and he, was, he, says he's, he says in verse 6, he's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited for him continuously. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Do you see the common denominator here? Cornelius is praying... He's doing the best he can, seeking God. It might be a Hindu who's praying, a Muslim who's praying, a Catholic who's praying. People are seeking God all over this planet, praying in the only way they know how to pray. Here's Cornelius praying the best prayers he knows how to pray. And then here's the Christian on his knees praying as well. And both of these divine activities took place because of prayer. That's why the prayer piece is critical to this evangelism effort. Amen? I remember the witch that switched tells this story. There was a, a lady in, in Florida who was a witch, and she worked with the principalities, the demonic spirits over, uh, spirits over that region. Now, this may freak you out a little bit, but just read the Bible. Spiritual warfare is as common and as ordinary as this chair right here that you sit on every day you come to church. You have to be aware that the, Paul said this, if people do not believe the gospel, it's because the God of this age has blinded their mind so they cannot see the glorious gospel. So this witch that switched said that this old lady used to come up to her house every day and kneel down on her steps and pray for this witch's salvation. She had Doberman pinchers, the witch did, that said would not touch 
this old lady as she walked into the property and knelt down and prayed. And that witch got saved. And she wrote a book called The Witch That Switched. And she said, here's the enigma to me. She said, every day I would send out demonic spirits, spirits over the region, just like there are demonic spirits that go out over this region. And she said, they would blind people to the gospel. And she said, I found that I can't find any Christians who actually pray against the blinding spirits that I would send out. They would just go out and try to share their faith with people. So she, this witch, began to teach the body of Christ how to pray against demonic powers. You have to have the prayer piece going while you are trying to share the gospel with people who Satan is blinding to the good news of Jesus Christ. So we see Cornelius praying. We see Peter praying. And verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while he made ready, he fell into a trance. Wow. We have an angelic visitation and we have somebody being fallen into a trance. Do you think God cares about the lost? Isn't this amazing? He, to get his Christian out there sharing the gospel, he has to put him into a trance. <laughs> My hope today is that we can begin to understand the kind of passion God has for every individual who's far from him putting his guy into a trance it's amazing and he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down on earth and it were all four kinds of uh, uh, four four-footed animals of the earth wild beasts creeping things birds of the air and a voice came to him rise peter kill and eat but peter said not so lord for i've never eaten anything common or unclean i can't go out to lunch with that guy who works next to me because he's a sinner and a voice came to him and said a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. We've got to break out of our religious mindset, family of God, and become evangelists. Don't say you're not an evangelist. We had one person in our congregation try that on us. She's in the house today. I'm going to tell off on her. I used to have a, a marketplace Bible study on Sunday mornings before church. And there were about 15 of us in there that were businessmen, businesswomen. And, we, and the premise was this. You are a minister of the gospel full time. And your mission field is where you work. And you've got you've to have a paradigm shift that when you walk into work, you just walk into the mission field. Your career is secondary and really it's just a vehicle. Seek first the kingdom. I will add all these other things to you. It took about six months for this paradigm shift to take place in the minds of God's people. This is what I did when I was a businessman here in San Diego. My, my secretary one day came up to me and said, this isn't a business. That's just a front. This is a mission field. Because she saw me leading employee after employee, uh, client after client to the Lord, one after the other after the other, because my mindset going to work was, I've got to lead as many people to Christ as I possibly can. And as I was doing that, God made me the top salesman in the nation for the co corporation when we were at the bottom before I started this. And I'm not saying this is the way to prosperity, please. All I'm saying is I started seeing that when we walk through those doors, you just entered the mission field. This has got to become our mentality because that's God's mentality. We've got to get on his page and not think about ourselves as much as we're thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen yet? Wow, I got one, 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 that was a trip, one, that, we'll start there, no, let's just, no, no, now, 
No, th- those are solicited claps. I'm just going to, I'm going to believe prophetically that was a crack in the dam back there. So, Connie, where's Connie? Wave Connie. She's already told her story publicly, so I can say this. Connie came to us and she said, well, I'm not a reaper, I'm just a sower. Now, in this group, we had an accountability piece that said we all share our faith every week and then we come back and we talk about our experiences. That's just the way this group is going to roll. And if that's, you're not comfortable with that, this isn't, the, this isn't the group for you. We just raised the bar. And she said, well, I heard a sermon 30 years ago that said some are sowers, some are waters, and some are reapers. And I knew at that moment I'm a sower. And we all said, no, that's a lie. And she got mad. She got, she got angry at us. And we just wouldn't let her off the hook. And then the Lord ministered to her in her private time. And she said, I just believed that sermon. And she goes, I cannot tell you how many people came up to the line of being saved, but I didn't, I didn't pray the prayer with them because I didn't think that was my role in the body of Christ. So the next opportunity she had, she was talking to this person and they came right up to the line and then she used her, she was a mortgage banker and she used her clothesline on the person. Is there any reason why you would not receive Jesus Christ right now? And the person said no. And she prayed with the person and the person got saved. You know who it was? It was her Catholic mother. She led her mom to the Lord. Which she probably could have done 30 years earlier, 20 years or 10 years earlier, if she had not believed this lie that it was not her role in the body of Christ to pray the prayer of salvation with people. And you know what happened? She ended up leading more people to the Lord in that group than the rest of us. She just got, she started making up for lost time. And she worked in a hospice, so that's not fair. Verse 17, now when Peter wondered about himself what the vision meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had been made uh, an inquiry at Simon's house, stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodged in there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? <laughs> He's still not getting it. And they said, Cornelius, uh, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged, lodged them. Now, can you imagine Peter laying in bed that night going, I have Gentiles sleeping in this house with me that I invited in. If you go ahead and read the next chapter, the other apostles are very upset with him. The believing Jews. They heard that Peter had invited Gentiles into his house and that he had gone into the house of a Gentile and they rebuked him. The leaders of the church rebuked the apostle Peter for sharing the gospel with a Gentile. Jesus has already died for our sins, already rose from the dead, already gave him the great commission and already went to heaven. This is years later and they're rebuking Peter for sharing the good news with a non-Jewish person. And he tells them, well, I, okay, I, God put me in a trance. And there were angels and stuff. And, and then I was telling them the gospel. I wasn't actually going to give them an invitation to get saved. I was just giving them the message. And in the middle of me preaching the message, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they all started speaking in tongues. What was I supposed to do? 
And then it says, then they all concluded that God must therefore want the gospel to go to the Gentiles too. Read it. It's right in the next chapter. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad. But we're no different than them. When we don't see the harvest as the most important thing in our lives, we are not on God's page. I want to say it again. When we do not see the harvest as the most important thing in our lives, we are not on God's page. And the Holy Spirit has to get us on that page. We can't pretend to be on it. We just need to ask God as a body, God, get us on your page. Get us on your page like Connie. Get us and make us mad like Connie. Now do whatever you have to do, all right? Just get us on your page so we can start seeing people come to your son. And so you go down through here. Koinias invites all of his friends. And uh, there was a great outpouring. I want to say this in closing. We don't have time to go through the rest of it. When you decide that you are going to engage in the harvest, when you decide what you just heard me teach, that you're going to take the challenge, and then maybe this week start praying over your list. Create a list and start praying and asking God, say, God, I have been focused on everything else other than what John talked about today. I mean, it's not like it's going to be news to him, but it would be good to confess that, right? I'm going to do it too. It's easy for me to preach. It's easy for me to go to Mexico and lead people to Christ. What about in my daily life? Pastors can end up in an office studying the Bible while his neighbors out there cutting the lawn, you know, possibly far from God. But I got to teach, I got to study on how to teach people how to win people to Christ. You see, you know, we can all get trapped into our little, we can all get isolated like Peter. You know, Peter was isolated from the Gentile harvest because of his mentality. We got to ask God to break us out of our isolation. And here's the point, and I want to close with this. If you will decide today, right now, draw a line in the sand, I am going to begin engaging the harvest. I'm going to start to lift my eyes, and I'm going to start praying to God about this. I'm going to ask him to, to, to revive my heart toward the harvest. He'll do it, because this is what's on his heart. What you're going to find is he's going to start, you're going to start seeing divine activity around you. This is what happened with Peter. Peter's praying and God, angelic vegetation, trance, sending people to his house, knocking on the door right after the trance, right after the prayer, right after the vision, knock, knock, knock. Oh, wow. Who are you? Well, we were sent. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then then we'll go down. The whole thing becomes a divine orchestration, but he needs your partnership in it. I'll tell you this one last story along these lines of partnership. When I went to India with Stephanie and Dirk, and I think a couple of you, other of you in here went to India, I was on this porch and there were about 20 Hindus and I was sharing the gospel with them. And this one teenage girl kept coming out and then she'd go back inside. And then she'd come out, she'd go back inside. And I just thought she was irritated. I didn't know why she was coming in and out. And then after I gave the invitation and many of them gave their life to Christ, it was lunchtime. So this teenage girl lived there. So she invited me inside and she and her mother went in the little, sat on the couch and they made me a sandwich and I'm eating. And I asked her, I said, why were you coming in and out while I was sharing the, the good news of Jesus Christ with your, with your friends? And she said, I have something to ask you and I need to ask you a question. She said, I had a dream that a white man came to my house and he shared everything you shared today. Now, would that be my God or yours? This was her question to me. <laughs> I said, that would be my God. (laughs) 
And she gave her life to Jesus Christ right there on her couch. You see, we're just the messengers, but God saw me going. He saw me raise my hand and said, I'll go. And so then he gives this Hindu teenage girl a dream of me coming. It doesn't make me special, right? It has nothing to do with us being special. It has to do with us being available. And then God gets involved. I wonder how many of her Hindu friends she's led to Christ after I left. It is exciting. So I want to pray over this today as a congregation. Are you with me on this journey? A little more water trickled through the dam. Did you hear that? It's a little more trickling. I know it's uncomfortable with classmates, family members, neighbors, co-workers, strangers. I understand that. But let's just begin. Let's ask God to begin to lead us in this. And let's see God begin to fill up this house too as well as every church in San Diego. We're not doing this alone. There are harvesters all over the place. Let's be harvesters. Father, we pray. First, I pray for anybody in this house today that has heard this message. And maybe they thought they were a good person and they were secure with you, but today they have found that they are not. Billy Graham was not. Cornelius was not. Lord, I pray, we pray for them today, right now, that they would turn their life over to your son, Jesus Christ. Just like we saw on Easter, people coming to your son. If you're in this house today, as everybody else is praying, if you're in this house today and you're not secure in your salvation, you have never really, to your knowledge, asked Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart to forgive you for your sins, and you need to make him your savior today. If that's you, will you raise your hand right where you are? Okay. Nobody raised their hand. So if, if you're in here and you, you want to... Uh, you didn't raise your hand. I'll be down here to pray with you after, after the church service. But that right there, family, God tells me that we're not on God's page. He says, go to the highways and the